Bucket Parker. Couldn't play or stop my crew for a long shot. He scores! Colorado wins the Stanley Cup! Colorado wins! Ewing Group at 4 30. Got a chance for the empty netter. Got it! He got it! He got it! The Jets again wins. Got tackled by his teammates. Joe Sackick will come out to receive it as captain. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche. And after 22 years, Raymond Mark! Hey, Avalanche fans, and welcome to At Elevation, a podcast brought to you by Mile High Hockey. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at Elevation Pod. That's at, at Elevation Pod. Also, remember to uh, subscribe to At Elevation um, on whichever platform you're listening, uh, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, or iTunes. Um, you can definitely hit that little flag button and subscribe, and that way you get a notification every time we come out with new content. Like I mentioned last week, we will be releasing a new podcast every Friday between the hours of 9 and 10. I, ch- <laughs> I changed the time frame today because I'm running a little bit late. I hope you guys can forgive me. So today's show, uh, we're going to go back like we did last week, and we're going to do this every week as well. We're going to go through Scott McDonald's Twitter Tuesday. I think that's a good idea because uh, what I really want to do with this show is make you folks feel like you're participating in it. And um, the best way to do that is to also participate in uh, Scott McDonald's Twitter Tuesday via Twitter. And you can follow him at Off Scott Free, and you can also get a link to that um uh, I guess post where he takes your questions via Mile High Hockey's Twitter, and that's at Mile High Hockey. Um, also, today we are going to get into a piece by Jackie K on Ryan Graves that you can also find on MileHighHockey.com, and we will be doing our weekly talk with Tom, Mr. Tom Hunter. So that's the show for today. I hope you guys enjoy it, and let's drop the puck. So just like last week, um, I'm going to go through Scott McDonald's Twitter Tuesday, and I'm going to pick out some of the ones, some of the questions that you folks sent in that I think are um, the most prevalent. So let's start with Pokecheck, spelt the French-Canadian way, which is very smart. That is P-O-K-E-C-H-E-Q-U-E. I'm pretty sure that's French-Canadian, but I'm probably just uncultured swine. Anyway, <laughs> he asks, what if the what is the Avs biggest need at the deadline? Um, we kind of got into this on last week's episode, uh, but I don't mind getting back into it again. I, I'm still of the opinion that the Avalanche, if they need anything at all, it's a veteran um, playoff experience defensive forward player, whether or not that means a defender is is not necessarily the case. Um, I think uh, Scott expands on this, but if you trade for a defender, you have to then ask yourself, who's the odd man out? Are you taking Zadorov off the ice? Are you taking Graves off the ice? Are you taking Cole off the ice? All of all of these dudes are having a, are in a better spot of their season, so that that might be that might not be the best move for Sakic. That being said, it's probably going to be it would probably be like a depth forward with playoff experience, um, veteran leadership, and somebody who could sure up the PK. 
um, come playoff time. I honestly don't think that Joe Sackick is going to make any any big move. The reason being, he has a lot of we, the Avalanche have a lot of cap space, and they're not really in the in any. I don't think the Avalanche are in a pressing position to change things. Uh, obviously, they ran into a skid in January, in December, and January, much like they did last year. And I can only agree that the pe- uh, power play and penalty kill have been lackluster. But we saw, we've seen the potential in the power play at the beginning of the year. And I also think we saw the potential of the penalty kill at the beginning of the year. A big part of the penalty kill um, shifting into one of the worst in the league, to me, um, was losing uh, big Carl Soderberg. So you take the good with the bad because instead of Carl, we have someone who can kind of put a couple more goals in the net in Kadri. So to get back to the question, what's the biggest need at the trade deadline? I'd say the biggest need is to make the right decision at the trade deadline. I don't know that if that answers your question in a way that you were hoping, but I honestly don't. I, I know everyone says that the Avs are buyers going in to the trade deadline, given they most teams like to add on to the roster just before the playoffs to give a little bit more veteran leadership. But if you look around the Avalanche locker room, they have plenty of veteran leadership um, and plenty of different types of leaders. So, I don't. I I think they're sellers, if anything, because if a lot of a lot of Colorado Avalanche are are putting up career high numbers, and um, as they say, buy low, sell high, and I don't think that logic is lost on Mister Joe Sakic. So that's the first question. Thank you guys so much again. And if you want to participate in this, send your tweets into at off Scott Free. He will um, be sure to mention you guys, and then I will mention you guys. Let's see. We got Avid Guru CSU08 asks, Special teams is becoming almost a liability, especially the power play. If Sackick truly believes this year can be the year, does he shake up the staff before the playoffs? This is like this is the other side of the coin um, in terms of like the trade deadline and the and the power play and penalty kill woes. Is this a um a staffing issue like are the coaches having a hard time getting their um point across and are the players having a difficult time um capturing the ideas that the staff are putting forward the penalty kill staff and the power play staff um <clears throat> that's kind of a hard thing obviously um scott mentions like assistants and special teams co- coaches almost never get fired uh, during the season, it's usually an off-season ordeal, and I think that's probably because those two things rely so heavily momentum. So you don't really want to shake up the personnel in the middle of the season. And whether or not the Avs are experiencing a slump in the power player penalty kill, it'd be like going back to square one. And I don't think that's a good idea going right into the playoffs. So that would be my answer to that question. If you want a little bit more. Um, and you want to see a couple more tweets, like I previously mentioned, head over to milehighhockey.com and you will see our Twitter Tuesday um, by uh, the one and only Mr. Scott McDonald, which, by the way, I will be having Scott himself on for a phone call next week. And I think what will be cool is him and I can go through these questions together 
and um, you don't have to listen to me the entire time. <laughs> so now let's talk about Ryan Graves and um, our very own Jackie K has an excellent article on Mile High, uh, MileHighHockey.com. It's titled Ryan Graves has found a home with the Colorado Avalanche and I kind of want to expand on it. Um, she's much more articulate and a lot smarter than I am. So if you really want to get a firm grasp, head on over to MileHighHockey.com and read this article. But uh, Ryan Graves is a pretty cool story. If, if you don't know kind of what led to him being in the position he is now leading the NHL in plus minus, he uh, made his NHL debut late December 2018 in which he scored against the team that traded him, the New York Rangers. So that's, that's a good start. Um, and then when the next season after last year ended and next season approached, he made the roster out of camp. Uh, mostly because they didn't want to see him go to waivers because he was likely to be picked up on waivers. But he took advantage of the opportunity, and he found himself on the opening day roster, which is pretty pretty cool. Um, he hasn't really looked back since then. He's been partnered with Makar, which is like opening up a Christmas present. Uh, your partner is the one of the youngest and most elite talents in the NHL. That's a pretty good deal. He's also been featured on the penalty kill quite a bit. He averages about two minutes and 34 penalty kill minutes a game. Um, and if you haven't noticed, he loves to shoot the shot from the point. And that's actually what's led to a lot of his points. He's really good at getting shots from the point through and on net. He averages about two and some shots on goal a game. And most are point shots. So he really has stepped up and become the partner that the avalanche were really hoping to see him be for Makar. now he's going to be a restricted free agent he is arbitration eligible and if you look around the league um just last week petterson received a five million a five-year 20.1 million dollar contract from the penguins so what do you the question remains what what will Ryan Graves cost next year? There's been a lot of chatter on Twitter. Um, a lot has gone. A lot of people have, have compared him to the likes of John Carlson. Well, I shouldn't say a lot of people. I saw one or two people comparing him to the likes of John Carlson. That is absolutely ridiculous. He will get nothing near a contract like that. You must be Ryan Graves' agent. Don't get me wrong. I think he's really good, but he's he's not worth <laughs> what John Carlson is getting paid. I think that Pedersen five-year $20.1 million uh, contract is is an indication of a more realistic figure for Graves. But before we get too far into that, I want to bring on my boy Tom Hunter for our weekly talk with Tom. Tom, I know Graves leads the league in plus minus, a statistic that's really not a very strong indication of of defensive prowess all the time. Um, tell me a little bit about why you think Graves has looked better this year and give me give me your opinion as to what Avalanche fans can expect uh, from a future contract for Graves. Um, well, he is playing pretty well. Um, I'm, I'm not as high as some people are because he's like, he's playing with Makar. Um, almost exclusively at this point. And when you, when we look at his numbers, they're, um, 
their Corsi and their other possession metrics and stuff, they he you see a big drop off when he's away from a car, like big. It's he goes from the second best on the team to um below average on the team. So a lot of that there there is a a caveat to that. Like when he is away from a car, those shifts are usually defensive zone starts. So he's already put in a position where he's more likely to give up shot attempts, stuff like that. So it's not that big a deal, but it is very clear that he's better with Kale McCarr on the ice. Um, So I think that has to be taken into account when we talk about how good he's actually playing. That said, he seems to be the perfect partner. Um, because Makar also sees his stats inflated, not to the same extent. He's still the team, one of the team's best, even away from Graves. But with Graves, he's like he is the team's best. So they make each other better. I just think that Makar has a bigger impact of the two, um, which I guess isn't really going out on a limb because everybody knows that Makar is the better of the two. <laughs> a lot of people see his goal total, eight goals. That's really impressive. That's good. Um, he's got an absurd shooting percentage. Who knows how, like, if he only got one or two more in the rest of the season, it wouldn't be overly surprising. But those are the stats that more often than not come up in contract negotiations. So you never know. He could get, like, what do we see? The guy in Pittsburgh this week, he got, like, $4 million. He's better than Ryan Graves. But if that's a starting point, you could be, like, you, you could see his agent being, like, well, he's not that much better. So maybe maybe three on a short-term deal or something. But um, it's really hard to peg down because he's got, like, what, half a season? He played a little bit last season and half of this year. and right. So, like, yeah, he's been really good, but do you want to sign him long-term for the price of a second-pair defenseman? Or do you want to bridge him for a year on a one, two-year, million-dollar contract? See if it, it, uh, See if it continues next year, and if it's not just luck this year who knows um it, it'll really be interesting to see where the way that uh Sackett goes about these negotiations with him yeah i'd agree with you and i think the foundation Sackett will fall upon or the argument he'll fall upon is the one that you just made that a lot of his success is due to his pairing um but if his agent is a good agent ryan graves's agent will probably harp quite a bit on his statistics and given his stats are are pretty are way up best in his career obviously he's only never played a full season but given those statistics uh do you think that this has the potential to go to arbitration um i do um but if that's the case i think i don't know i think i think the abs would be okay with that um if it is he arbitration eligible he must be yeah, he is. Um, he, I think they'd be okay with that because then they'd get him on a short term, even if it was a little more than they're happy paying with him. They're not going to be in any chance of being in cap danger next year or the year right. after. So it would give them like, it would give them that bridge to be like, okay, let's see if this is sustainable or if this is a one year thing. So it, if they're forced to go to arbitration and say the arbitrator gives an inflated settlement, okay, you swallow it for one year, and then 
work towards something long-term afterwards after he proves what he is after a second season, I guess. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And speaking of Kale McCarr, um, it's been widely criticized uh, that he was left off the All-Star Game roster. Um, I, for one, think that the format of the All-Star Game is the culprit here. Like, there's no way the Red Wings should be sending anyone to the All-Star Game. That's just my opinion. But um, I'm sure you're of the same opinion in terms of uh, Kale McCarr was definitely snubbed. Can you elaborate as to why you feel that way? Yeah, I think, well, honestly, I think the Central Division defensemen were just messed up to begin with. Like, McCarr, Miro Heiskanen's been one of the best all-around defensemen in the NHL this year. He wasn't there. Um, McCarr wasn't there. He's the most exciting young defenseman in the league. Like, if you want to grow your game and make fans excited about the next generation, these are the guys that should be there. Then again, those two will be there probably next year, maybe for like the next decade. So like if this was the, if this was the last, I the sort of like last hurrah for Roman Yossi and Alex Petrangelo before these guys take over. Cause like they're not, they're both going to be superstars and going to be in the central division for a long time. So we're going to see them there. So maybe I kind of view it as the last hurrah for two guys that are having decent seasons that have been there for a long time, but you know, they're not going to be there a whole lot better. And, Quite frankly, a lot of players, like, it's probably exciting for the rookies. Like, McCarr would have been really excited to go there, but there are a lot of guys that just, they'll take the extra week off. They'll take the extra vacation um, in place of having to go play. But uh, in terms of McCarr, I think he probably would have liked to be there, and fans would have liked to be there, see him there in the three-on-three. Like, if you want your most exciting product out there, you put the most exciting players there and... That would be him. Three, like imagine three on three with Makar, McKinnon, and any other Central Division All Star, yeah. like whoever Taylor Tyler Sagan, whoever. That would just be like it would be fun to watch, and that's what you want the All Star Game to be like. A lot of people don't really watch it because it's not so fun. <laughs> so just make it fun and send the send the players like send the young good young players or do like the NBA does and do a do a young stars game with the rookies and sophomores sort of thing. Find, find a way to get the most exciting players there. I, I say, yeah, that's going to be the way you get the most people to watch. Uh, and, uh, I'd say for Makar, like, like you mentioned, he's going to be in that all-star game for probably the next decade. So, uh, I don't think it's too big of a deal, but I'm hoping that this kind of lights a fire under his butt and he kind of kicks it into another gear because I think he may be the catalyst and the key to uh, pushing the avalanche over that edge right now in Vegas they have the second best odds to winning the whole kit and caboodle Lord Stanley Cup himself um, in your opinion what needs to happen and what player needs to perform um, at a higher uh, level in order to make the, those Stanley Cup aspirations a reality uh, I think I think you're right that Makar is a big part of that. Like he, we saw the last what it was three game three the little three game winning streak before the break. He was back to what we what he was before the injury. Like when he came back from the injury, he didn't look fully I don't know, comfortable or just trying to get back in the swing of things or whatever it was. He didn't look like the same player we saw before the injury. But over the last week or two. He was like he turned he he was back to that dynamic player that we're used to seeing. So he it 
and they started winning games. And even the Dallas game, they lost in overtime. They badly outplayed them, but Ben Bush, Ben Bishop stole it. So like the team played better as he started playing better. So I think you're right that Nathan McKinnon is always going to be the most important player on that team. But after that, Kale McCarr might already be the second most important, even ahead of Miko or Landis Gog, um, or the goalies. I think you need that the way the abs play with the, High, high-paced, high-event hockey. You need a defenseman that can get the puck to McCarr or to McKinnon, and who can get through the offense, through the neutral zone quickly, the way McCarr can. And so he's he's that guy now. With Tyson Berry gone, he's that guy. So as he goes, the team's offense is gonna is gonna go. They'll find days where they can get by without him playing well. But I think you're right that he's he's going to be that turning that X factor. Cause like McKinnon is their most important player, but nobody's worried about how he's going to play. He's going to be a superstar regardless. You, you know, it. even when he's not playing well, he's still one of the best players on the ice. So uh, it, it, it's the rookie that maybe you're worried might take a step back, but if they want to be successful, he isn't going to be able to, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned Tyson Berry, who, is the Colorado Avalanche leading point scorer and thus the best ever at getting Nathan McKinnon the puck in order for him to score. So tell me, it seems as though he's kind of found his touchdown uh, or up in Toronto. Tell me a little bit about what you've seen from Tyson Berry over the last couple of weeks. Oh, um, he's been, since the, it's the coaching change, since they changed, since when playing under Mike Babcock, Tyson Berry was just awful, like God awful. All the worst things you heard about, like the people that would overreact in the past, like a lot of people didn't like Tyson Berry because they thought he was terrible defensively, whatever. But for whatever you think, he was an elite puck moving defenseman. And he wasn't that under Mike Babcock. He was just awful. And since they changed the coaches, it took a little bit, but he's looking like the Tyson Berry avalanche fans would recognize. Um, He's got like something like 15 points since Christmas and 13 games since Christmas and eight in his last five or something like that and he's just he's been on absolute fire since Sheldon Keefe took over and it's starting to look like like if Avalanche fans put put on a Leaf game now they'd see the Tyson Berry they're used to seeing still those bad defensive zone giveaways once a game or whatever but a player that is a big part of a dynamic offense and that's not what like if you watched him early in the season you'd be like who is this guy what a landslide of a trade i think the avalanche still make out better in the trade because of the way cadre's been playing this year but it's now starting to even out where maybe this was a good move for both teams i think yeah i think the trade and how it played out in terms of who the trade was better for was widely depending on the play of tyson berry mostly because the Avalanche had a big void to fill, and Kadri was like the perfect piece. The Avalanche desperately needed a true second-line center, whereas I don't think Toronto was in as desperate need of a puck-moving dis- uh, defender. Got Morgan Riley there and Jake Muzzin there. Obviously, they're not Tyson Berry or Kale McCarr, but they have attributes in their own right defensively that the other two do not as well so like I said I don't think there was as big of a void to fill in Toronto as there was in Colorado with a second line center Kadri's play like Kadri was 
the absolute perfect but the avalanche needed him like almost regardless of price they needed that kind of player a guy that he they needed a second line center who can play on the special teams who can add a little bit of extra grit who can who's the he's like the consummate teammate player like players love to play with him hate to play against him sort of deal um and that's the kind of guy that this team needed so like yeah, yeah, it, it hurts to give up your puck mover, but when you have Makar there, you can do it. But, yeah, you're right. The, the way, regardless of talent levels, just the hole it filled, it was just such a massive hole and such a perfect fit for it that the trade just made all the sense of the world for the Avalanche to make. And I feel like the Avs had it in their minds for a while that once Cody McLeod left, uh, Nikita Zadorov was going to take on that like physical, uh, hey, you can't do that role. But he's almost too much of a liability in that role. He needs to be the guy who sets the tone, not the dude who responds. Um, I think Kadri can... I know that he's ran into some response woes in the past, but he's definitely one of the fans' favorites now based on his ability to meet that pride with playmaking and skill. Like you and I have talked about it, the goon game is kind of out of the league now. You can have that as a part of your game, but you also need to be just as skilled to skate with these guys. Yeah, 100%. Like That's why like Brad Marchand, Matthew Kachuk, these are guys that most of the league despises, but if they're on your team, they're your favorite player. Like Skill, like the guys that bring the toughness and get under your skin, hit guys, whatever, but also can put the puck in the net and that's what Kadri's doing that's what those best that's what good teams have they have a guy that can that don't just do dumb dumb stuff out there they might do dumb stuff but they're also going to score and it what they contribute in that way outweighs the dumb things that every now and then come the bad penalties or whatever that come every now and then yeah, and I'm tapped into a ton of uh, Avalanche fan pages on various social media networks. And after his fight, um, when Donskoy took a took a knock, um, a bunch of fans took to social media to say, like, oh, I can't wait to buy my Kadri jersey. That's the kind of stuff that I love to see sticking up for his teammates. So he definitely fits in that category of if he's on your team, he's your favorite player. If he's not, he's your least favorite player on the ice. That's that's why that's why I love that trade so much. I get to still cheer for Nazem Kadri. He, I, I wouldn't have been able to cheer for him if they traded him somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing they didn't trade him to like Montreal or Boston. That would have been, uh, or even Vancouver, one of those. They tried to trade him to Calgary. That wouldn't have been good either. It just, <laughs> it, it, it just worked out perfectly. Get to stay stay Nazem Kadri fan. Like he he was always one of like even when he did dumb stuff. Like he got suspended two playoffs in a row. It was really dumb, especially the first time. But what he brought to the team and the way he connected with the fans and stuff beyond that is just something that he's just one of those players that I wrote the day of the trade. The first thing I wrote about was how he's quickly going to become everybody's favorite Avalanche player. And I don't think that I was wrong in saying that. Or he's the guy that you see the jerseys around. You want you want that guy on your team. You want to cheer for that guy. Yeah, and I think Sakic was super smart because he saw a void in his roster and he saw another void elsewhere 
So he saw, you know, we need that physical pres- that the team guy. We lost McLeod. We need a second line center for sure. And we need another leader, another veteran leader. So it's safe to say he kind of killed three birds with one stone. Yeah, exactly. Like Landeskog is one kind of leader. Nathan McKinnon's another kind of leader. And then Kadri's like a third totally different kind of leader. And each of the you need each one of those kinds of leaders in your dressing room. Like Landeskog's the perfect captain, face of the franchise, whatever. McKinnon leads by example by dominating on the ice. And then you have the the, the loud vocal guy that you want to rally behind. And I think that's that's the cadre leader where cadre brings in leadership to the team. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And Tom, thank you so much for your time, my man. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We're going to get you on here every week. So clear that schedule. Thanks again, brother. <laughs> no problem at all. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Tom Hunter, the managing editor of mile high hockey. I'm going to sign off here. My name is Adrian Hernandez. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, um, Please subscribe on Spotify. Please subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at at Elevation Pod. You can also follow us on Twitter at Mile High Hockey. And again, if you want to participate in Twitter Tuesday, you can find Scott McDonald at Off Scott Free. Once more, my name is Adrian Hernandez. Go Abs, go.